All right, good morning, good morning. So today we're going into Joshua 8. For those that are joining us uh, new, we're going through the book of Joshua as we talk about how the church moves. So our theme this year is the church on the move. Today we're going into Joshua 8, um, and we're going to look at a very redemptive story. Uh, you guys ever watch those movies where, where it's, it's a great story of redemption? A story where in the beginning the, the main character does something where it was foolish or they make a mistake and then the rest of the story is just how they build themselves back up to the end to redeem what was lost. To redeem what was once taken away to, to make things right. And so today we're going to go into a story in Joshua 8 where the nation of Israel has to make things right again. If you remember... Last week, as Rich talked about Joshua 7, um, they, were, they were in a place where they, were, they conquered Jericho and they're heading towards a city called Ai. And as they enter, in, as they, they look at the city, they're like, oh, you know what? It's just a small city. We don't need to send our entire troop there. So he's like, just send between three and 5,000 people. We'll go. We'll conquer the city. We don't have to waste our efforts. And... Uh, and, and everything will be done. We'll, we'll, we'll take over that city and we'll move on to the next. But what happens is that instead of them conquering the city, they actually lose the battle and about 36 men die in the process and they retreat and AI feels like, you know what, we're, we're a solid city. You cannot penetrate us that way. You cannot conquer us in that way. And so Israel comes back, comes back wounded. You see, the story of of Joshua really is about Israelites going into the promised land. You see that as Joshua takes over the leadership, he is charged with this mission to take the people and enter into the promised land, something that Moses never got to do. And so as Israel consecrates themselves, remember there's all these stories of them setting their hearts right with God and restoring the, the nation of Israel and bring them back into the, the right cultural moments by, by consecrating before even they cross the Jordan, before they take over Jericho. All of these stories is God moving before them and God telling them that we need to do these things and God will walk before us and we will conquer land and we will take over and that, that, that the promised land will be given to us because of the power of God. And then we ha- hit the story of Ai. Not a big city. Compared to Jericho, it was actually a really small city. Jericho was a fortified city. Gigantic walls, 25 feet tall, 25 feet wide. These, this was a fortress. And they took over Jericho by just marching around Jericho. So when they look at Ai, they, they see, oh, this is, this is small. It's insignic- insignificant. We could do this. Compared to Jericho, this is nothing. And so they went into it with that mentality, thinking that they could do it, and what happened was they lost. Why? They didn't lose because they, 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 uh, they didn't lose because they just felt like, oh, this is just nothing, it's just flip. But they lost because somebody in the nation of Israel didn't follow the laws of God. And how that one man caused the fall of the entire nation in this battle. And we, if we read through chapter 7, we see it's a man named Achan. 
and Achan had stolen and plundered from Jericho when God specifically told them, you're not supposed to do that. Don't do it. Don't take anything. Kill everything. Leave everything. I don't want you to take anything. But his greed overcame, and he, he just took some. It wasn't a lot. It was just some. It was 500 shekels of silver, 50 shekels of gold, and a really nice cloak. Really, it, in light of what was there, that was really nothing. And sometimes we feel like we could get away with just a little bit, right? That God won't notice. Nobody will really notice. And sometimes we feel like we could do something just because of our own greed or our own s- desires, and we're just, we're just going to take a little bit. Nobody's going to hurt from this. But if the thing is, if those things are not from God, even the smallest thing becomes a mark that doesn't allow us to con- completely, fully walk in the will that God has, has given to us. And so today we're going to look into how Israel redeems himself. So let's pray before we get into the word here. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word, for your message, for just how you encourage us. Father God, we just pray that as we look into Joshua 8 today, Lord, may you bring a redemptive story in. Remind us of how you redeemed us on the cross. So Father God, we just thank you for this time and pray all this in your name. Amen. So life like war is a series of mistakes. It's not about really trying not to make mistakes because the harder we try, oftentimes, the more mistake we make. But life is how we take our mistakes, learn from them, and then make victories out of our mistake. When we make mistakes and when we suffer in in those defeats, What we do is now up to us. We can live in defeat or we can learn by God's grace and through God's grace from it and learn how we could be victorious with him. None of us want to seek failure, right? I mean, failure is, is not something that we actually go after. But if we're willing to seek God and the forgiveness of our failures and how we deal with our sins through Jesus, that's how God wants us to live. He wants us to be able to walk fully, knowing that, yes, there is mistakes that we make, but know that he's there to help us. He's there to help us redeem it. So we go to Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. This is after they lost. Joshua's feeling pretty demoralized in this sense. And the Lord says to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. We need to remember that God promises us that he never leaves us, that God is there for us. He says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. See, after we've sinned, after we've done something wrong, Oftentimes, the enemy loves to whisper in our ear, saying, you've messed up big time, and God can never use you again. 
That is typically how we think. When we make a mistake, we, we get so down on ourselves that we, we feel like, oh, all is lost. We can't do this again. But what God is saying is that do not be afraid. Do not fear. And that he's, he's reinstalling the promise that he has for us, that he is for us, that he is here to guide us. He is here to help walk out the covenant that is laid before us. He is here to help us live in the way that he's called us to live. And so even if we make that mistake, there's an aspect where sometimes we just give it all up and say, okay, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I've screwed up. I've messed up. I, I don't feel like you could use me anymore. God is saying, no, do not fear. I can still use you, and I will still use you, and that this is but a blip in your journey with me. Do not be afraid. God wants to sh- make sure that he reminds us of who we are and our identity in him. He wants to remind us that it, it's not completely on us sometimes. Sometimes we take on more responsibility than we need to, that we become God in, in that sense for ourselves, that we feel like we need to pay for the sins that we have committed. But the reality is that Jesus already paid for that sin. Jesus died on the cross, and that if you th- feel like you could redeem yourself in that way, then you have completely looked at the cross and said, that's nothing. But we need to remember that Jesus died for us, that we could always come back to the cross, and that our identity rests in that. It is not what you make, it is what Jesus made it. And that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees his son on you. He sees his righteousness on you. And so we need to remind ourselves, and God is reminding Joshua of who he is here. He's like, do not be afraid. I already made a promise with you. I already made the covenant with you. Yes, you've messed up, but that doesn't matter because I am still there. So do not be dismayed. Take the whole army with you. God's word to Joshua was to use all the fighting men of Israel. Remember, Israel has a population of over 2 million people. They sent about 3,000 people to go and fight Ai. It's a blip just a, percent, a small percentage of their, their men. And God says, no, I want you to take everything, all your men, take all the people you have. Sometimes to learn from our mistakes, we need to, we need to learn from our mistakes and we need to retake ground. Oftentimes we get into trouble because we make the same mistake over and over again. So God says, go take all your men, go and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. So God gives Joshua the strategy. Just like Jericho, God gives Joshua the strategy. Sometimes we like to... We, we know that this is what God has for us. This is God's promise for us, and we like to take things into our hands, and sometimes we're like, we look at the situations, and we're just like, okay, we could handle this. We could do this. We know that God's going to give it to us. And sometimes we work in our own strategy, and we, we do things our way because we feel like, okay, I got a handle on this. I, I understand this. We got this. I, I've experienced this a couple times. I've seen it a couple times already. But here's the thing is God actually gives us strategy for every single moment in our lives. 
He gives us wisdom. He gives discernment. He leads. He guides. He, he actually gives us how we are to do things. He tells us how we, how we are to do things. God doesn't leave us to, to figure things out on our own. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to know his wisdom, to know his discernment, to know his ways. And this time God says, after you defeat it, this time you could carry off the plunder. Isn't that ironic? That Achan couldn't even wait. He saw it and he's just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to just take a little bit for myself and provision for my family. But the thing is, God has already led the Israelites through 40 years in the desert with manna and all these things, and God's leading you to the promised land. How do you get to a place where you're like, oh, I just need to provide for myself, when God has provided for you and everything that you need up until this moment? Sometimes we, we lose that trust and say, oh, no, I just need to take a little for myself. Whether that is an insecurity, whether that is greed, whatever that is, sometimes we just, we go outside of what God asks us to do and say, completely trust in me, trust in my provisions for you, even though right now it may seem little, I promise you there's going to be more. And if Achan's family just waited for one more city, they wouldn't have died. Because the consequence for what he did was he was stoned and burned. Not just him, but his entire family, including his kids. That's the judgment of God. Sometimes we don't like to preach those things because we're like, God, that's too harsh. But sometimes that's what sin is. Sin is harsh. It doesn't belong. God cannot be with sin. And so God completely eliminates sin. I love the picture that Rich gave us last week and saying if you have cancer, is it okay to just get rid of 80%? It's not. You want to get rid of it completely, and that's how God feels about sin. It's a complete eradication. And so it's ironic because Achan comes to, dies, and then God says, yeah, the next thing, take as much as you want. Kill the city, but take its plunders. That's my provision for you. So he goes back, Joshua goes back, and is like, okay, this is my redeeming time. This is the time that I need to do, and sometimes we need to face the things that has brought us down in order for us to gain ground again. Sometimes we have to look at our mistakes and fix those mistakes. But this time when we go and approach these mistakes, we, we go and approach it with God with us. Instead of trying to figure things out, we go and do it again but this time around, we do it the way that God wants us to do it. And when we do it the way that God wants us to do it, there's a redeeming quality. And God says, you know what? Here's the plunders of the land. Take it. It's my provision. It's almost like God's like, look, I will always provide for you. I will always supply all of your needs. So we keep on reading. This is how God redeems what was lost. Starting in verse 3. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night. First time, how much did he send? 3,000. Second time, how much did he send? 30,000 men. It's not that he didn't have people. He actually had an army that was larger than the city of Ai. The city was only populated by about 12,000 people. 
So Joshua goes, he finds his best fighting guys, and he's like 30,000 big with these orders. He says, listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. And all, all of you be on alert. And all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men came out against us, they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have leered them away from the city, for they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you will rise up and ambush the city to take the city. The Lord your God will give it to your hands. And when you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded, see to it, you have my orders. So God gives them a very, very specific strategy. This is the strategy to trap the men of Ai. So sometimes when we have to face things, sometimes we have to face it in the same way, but this time there's, there's, there's support. There's, there's extra measure because God is fighting with them. As the story continues, Joshua sent them off and went to the place of ambush and laid in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men and he and the leaders of Israel marched up before them to Ai. The entire force that was with them marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with a valley between them and the city. And Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set an ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So picture this. There's a city of Ai. 30,000 men march up against it. They hide in another location to the north of the city, which is behind the city because they're coming out from the south. 30,000, Joshua takes five and goes to the other side of the city, to the west side of the city, to leer out the king. So he takes 5,000, and so the king looks. He's just like, oh, there's more men this time because the first time they took how many? 3,000. This time, it's 5,000. If you want to picture it, picture it like Troy. Okay, you guys seen the movie Troy where the army marches up at the city, they're standing at the city gate, and then the other army comes out of their city gates ready to fight. That's how they used to fight in the old days, okay? So they, they, they come out. He sends out all his men, and he's like, okay, we're ready to, to take over. And so there's Joshua and all his elders. So th the king knows they're serious because, like, the leader is with them. Their leader and all the elders of their, their leaders all standing in front of our gate, ready to fight us. And he's like, we're going to take them down again. That's what the king is thinking. He's just like, so he moves all his men out of the city, ready to face what he presumes as this, the, the nation of Israel, 5,000 men. So there's 25,000 men in hiding at the back of the city, and there's 5,000 men in the front of the city. So this is an incredible battle strategy. It's just a leer for the city of Ai. And so as the, the city comes out, with all the men, it leaves the city completely what? Defenseless, right? Because for as long as, the, as far as the king knows, everybody's out. Everybody's here. We just need to chase them away just like we chased them the first time. And so what happens is Joshua then takes his armies. They turn around and run away like they did the first time, bringing the men further away from the city. And as they get Far enough from the city, Joshua, the Lord tells Joshua, raise up your spear and rally the signal. And he stretches out his arm, 25,000 men descend onto the city and kill the city, lighting the entire city up on fire. 
Now, if you were a soldier of AI and you look back and you see your city on fire, what's, what is going through your head? You're thinking, oh no, what did we just do? This is terrible. And so th now they're, they're confused. They're like, do we chase? Do we go back? And we don't know what to do. And they're all confused and they're distraught. And at this moment of confusion, when they're looking at running back into the city, Joshua's men turns around and pursues the soldiers and kills them all. And then they go into the city and completely annihilates the city. And that's how they win the battle. 12,000 people in AI against 30,000 soldiers. Complete annihilation. Man, they should make that into a movie. I mean, it's not fair. It's almost like taking candy from a kid. But it's very epic. God's strategy was beyond what AI could even imagine. They didn't see what was coming. They couldn't imagine and fathom the power that, that, that came against them. This is the way when God helps us redeem what was made lost, he redeems it in the most epic way. He helps us in a way where it's complete annihilation and complete victory. It's not even just like, oh, we won, yay, woo. It's boom. N you don't see anything. It's done. Done. Clean. Completely annihilated. After this, the nation moved in and took the plunders. And the city was made a heap of ruins. And the victory of Israel was total and complete. How does Joshua then celebrate? He doesn't just do a war cry. He doesn't do a celebration. They don't feast. Starting in verse 30, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebel an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, was commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stone on which no iron tool has been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship and offering. There in the presence of Israel, Joshua copied on the stones the law of Moses, which he has written, all, Israel's, all Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing both on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it. The priests who were Levites, half of the people stood in front of the Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, was formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Joshua didn't celebrate with victory. He didn't celebrate with a march or a dazzling banquet or a party. Instead, he did the most unusual thing. In obedience to the command of Moses in Deuteronomy 7, Joshua took the people, the entire nation, traveled 30 miles to a valley between Mount Ebel and Jerusalem where he built an altar and carried out a renewal service in recognition of their success and entirety dependent on being obedient to God. Joshua didn't just celebrate. 
Because what did Joshua realize? He realized that I s- I've misstepped. God continued, continuously called us to consecration to him. He told us to set ourselves apart to make sure that we know that he, we're fighting with him, that he goes before us. And the first time, the first battle with Ai was a wake-up call for Joshua saying, look, you forgot about the covenant that I made with you. You forgot that, that all of this entering into the promised land, the land that I'm, I'm about to give you is from me, that I'm going to give it to you. You don't just take it on your own, but I'm going to give it to you. And so what Joshua did was he went and he took the entire nation and he's like reminding them this is God's covenant for us. That we only can move and we only could do things because of who he is and how he does it through us. If we remember in chapter 5 when Joshua crosses, when the entire nation of Israel crosses the Jordan River, they're faced by a commander of the Lord's army with his, hand, with his sword drawn, Joshua approaches him and says, are you for us? Are you f- against us? And how did the commander said he s- respond? He literally just said, no. I am the commander of the Lord's army and now I have come. Here's the thing is that oftentimes when we live and we walk our Christian life out, we believe that God is for us that we live and God walks with us. But the reality is that God is not for us. It's God is God. We choose whether we're for him. The answer isn't asking, God, are you for me? The, an- the question should be, am I for God? The way that we move isn't, the way, isn't just asking God to come alongside the way that we live. The way that we live is how do we set ourselves in the position where we're walking out God's will and his command and his plan. The thing is, whether we agree with it or not, God has a plan in terms of how he is running this world. Whether we agree with that or not, God has a plan. You decide whether you are part of that plan. You decide whether you're part of that kingdom. You decide whether you're part of his family. You decide whether you are for God. It's not the other way around. We shouldn't be asking God, are you for me or are you against me in the situations when we look at things in our lives? God, are you for me or are you against me? I thought you were for me. That is the wrong question. The question that we should be asking is, God, am I for you? Am I walking with you? Am I joining into what you have for, for this nation, this kingdom that you have established as a kingdom nation? This kingdom culture that we live in is exactly what that is. It is living for God. God exists, right? Like I, I love how the Lord's, arm, the Lord's commander answers. He answers with a simple no. Are you for me or are you against me? No. Like, what kind of answer is that? Uh, that doesn't answer my question. It does answer your question because he's saying no. You're asking the wrong question. Are you with me? And so when Joshua finished the battle at Ai, he went and he re-consecrated the entire nation. He's like, we need to come back to a place of knowing who leads us, knowing who's giving us everything that we have. And so he rededicates 
the entire nation burns an altar, gives worship and praise and honor back to who God is and sets in front of the entire nation. This is what God promised us. He doesn't leave anything out. He reads everything that Moses has left for them and says, this never changes. This is how we walk. This is the way we are. Why? Because we are for God. Because as a nation, we are for him. This is a great redemptive story. This is a story where God's, God steps into a place and says, look, I know you screwed up. We always do. Every one single one of us does. But I'm going to help you redeem. I'm going to bring back what was lost. I'm going to bring back what was lost, but I'm going to bring more than what was lost. I'm going to give you extra. That's just the grace of God. God doesn't only restore, but he always gives in abundance beyond what we ask for. And that redemption, we actually learn just about his provision, his care, his love, his grace. And when we go through something like that, we need to remember whose side are we on? Are we in his plan? Are you walking in his way? Are there things in your lives that you have to reset and say, hey God, I know, okay, this is an area that I need help in. I keep falling in this area. I keep falling into temptation. I keep falling into mistrust. I keep falling in into a place where I keep wanting to do it myself, into pride. I want you to redeem that. And when, the, when God does redeem it, give him the glory. Give him the praise. Give him the honor. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you are a great God. As we come before you, Lord, that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, that you are there to help redeem what was lost. And Father God, that we could look towards you knowing that you have a plan for us and that you want us to walk in the strategy that you laid before us. And so Father God, we just consecrate our hearts to come back into that place of seeking after you, knowing that you, you came and you, you gave your son for this. So Father God, we just consecrate our hearts, consecrate our lives to you. And Lord, we ask that you just bring a redemption back so that people we know who you are in our lives. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.